It's the first Monday of the month, and we're responding to your questions. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 412. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. Once a month, we open up the show to respond to questions that have come in from you. The best way to get questions to us is to go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And Bonnie is back as she is most months to join me in responding to questions. Hello, Bonnie. Hi, Dave. It's great to be here. It is always fun to tackle these with you. And this month, we have no shortage of tough situations that folks are handling. And so let's see if we can just dive right in and provide a bit of perspective and hopefully some new ways of thinking. So our first question here is from Elizabeth. Elizabeth writes, I'm hoping that you can help me tackle an issue with a team member. I have an employee that I inherited. The previous leader asked for me specifically to replace this person. The employee, despite the head nodding and paying lip service to my processes, continues to do things their own way, only adopting my suggestions when it suits their agenda. Excuses and arguing seem to be the norm. This person believes that they are efficient and continues to complain about not being recognized for their hard work. I certainly could be more generous with praise, but in general, I've tried to truly highlight their successes as I don't want to seem negative with the team. Is there a visual management tool of some sort that you would suggest I use to help them see that their throughput doesn't exceed their lesser tenured counterparts? I've had to take a couple of hard stances lately that I feel are too directional and would like more of an eye-opening approach. Elizabeth, thanks so much for this question. You've uh, captured something which many of us have certainly found ourselves in this place of inheriting a tough situation from someone else. So I do have a few tools for you. I know Bonnie will as well. First and foremost, though, this comes down to expectations. And a good test point for you, and a question I often find myself asking when folks ask questions like this, is if I were to take this employee out for coffee and spend 15 minutes with them and ask them, what are the core expectations of their job? Would they be able to give me a very clear answer on exactly what you expect and what are the results that you want from them on a daily, weekly, monthly, whatever the time frame is basis? And if the answer to that question is yes, then it's a matter of giving feedback and aligning to that, right? If the answer to that question is no, or maybe, then that's the place probably to start to ensure that they are clear on expectations. And the prior person may not have done a good job at doing that. I sort of have come to the conclusion in professional work that I never assume someone else has done the dirty work of either making expectations clear or in the case of someone who's not performing well, not handling the situation effectively. And the fact that the person who you replaced suggested that you may want to exit this person from the organization makes me think that "Mm, maybe there was some unfinished business that didn't really get handled well. So perhaps more on that in a minute, but first and foremost, expectations. So do you have a clear set of documents 
or a job description or something that is clear to you and this person that you've both come to an agreement on, or at least that you've clearly communicated of what those job expectations are. If you don't, a couple of places you may look. One of them is the resources from the folks who do the Scaling Up book. It's an organization called Gazelles. They have a number of free resources. By the way, the book Scaling Up is a fabulous set of tools and strategy for leaders at almost every level in all kinds of organizations. So if you are looking for a lot of different kinds of things around strategy, Scaling Up is a wonderful place to start. One of their tools are actually two of the tools that may be relevant to what you're asking is a function accountability chart and also a process accountability chart. Now, that tool has it look at it from the entire team perspective, but actually I think that's a pretty good exercise to go through for just about every leader. More importantly to your situation specifically, Elizabeth, is it's going to have you flush out who is the person doing what, what are the leading indicators, what are the results and outcomes. And that's pretty simple, but it's also really important to have that kind of clarity. If you haven't already done that, it's a really good place to start. Another visual indicator, since you asked about that, that's a tool that I found helpful and a lot of folks in our academy have is, oh gosh, Bonnie, I don't remember the name of it. It's from Maker and Pipe. I'll find the link and I'll get it in the show notes. There's a beautiful flowchart that uh, Maker and Pipe did years ago on basically when you're not getting the performance you expect, what are the steps to follow? And it's essentially a flowchart slash checklist of if you are running the situation, start here, then do this, then do this. And of course, as you'd expect, expectation clarity is number one on that list. If you follow that flowchart, I think it will give you a very good starting point for what to do next. Here's the other thing, though, I'm wondering about just in the context of your question and some of the wording is does the ratio of feedback that you're giving align with reality? So one of the things you mentioned is that you could be more generous with praise and that you've really tried to highlight this person's successes. And that seems odd to me in the context of your question because you're describing someone who's not performing well at all, it sounds like. And so if they're not performing well in 80 or 90% of their job, 80 to the 90% of the conversation and feedback should probably be about that non-performance and what expectations they need to hit and maybe even going down the path of a performance improvement plan or whatever your organization does for that. I don't think you're doing someone any favors by coming in and being kind and letting things go for a period of time hoping that that's going to build a stronger relationship with them and that things will turn around. I actually think you're better off at the beginning if you see something not working of addressing that pretty quickly. Bonnie, any thoughts? There are two broad areas you might want to consider looking into, and they're related. One is called a dashboard. And if you were to do some Googling around the term dashboards, and specifically if you wanted to look in your industry, you might find some helpful resources. What these kinds of tools do is just help it where all of the team members' output is provided to us visually where we can see it all ideally on one single page or in the case of the more modern ones on one single screen. And similarly, you could do some Googling around something called scorecards and they're very much like dashboards. What are the essential scores that we need to keep in our industry, in our business that will evaluate? One of the benefits of that is that you can be able to show that who is producing what, what kinds of outcomes might be average, what kinds of outcomes might be more than average. You seemed to, in your message, 
imply that you work in a kind of industry where this is possible. Mostly in the industries that I work in, the work is very hard to quantify. I've worked a lot in education and in training businesses. And I mean, you can quantify them in terms of customer satisfaction. In the case of training, I can see, you know, course evaluations and things such as that. But to me, I want to go deeper as a leader because it matters less to me how they felt about a class versus what kinds of change was able to be accomplished within an organization through those efforts. So the kinds of industries that I've tended to work in, it isn't as simple as a dashboard or a scorecard, although certainly there are aspects of any business that could benefit from things like that. But to me, if you're talking about something that's harder to measure, the kinds of impacts that this person has, that's a a normal challenge that leaders, leaders experience often. I guess one last thing I would just say is it's so hard. I mean, I have worked with people that are very caustic and very negative, and there are these control elements that come out. I would describe it very eloquently as yucky. There's just yucky stuff. It's not fun to work that way. One thing that helps me is to separate those things that feel personal from the objective reality of the work being done. And that flow chart that Dave mentioned is funny that we both thought of it without knowing that the other person was going to mention it because that's a really good thing because it helps separate all that stuff interpersonally that can happen sometimes and just really practically walk down it. Like, have they been trained to do this? Have they been communicated that this is what's important? And uh, you know, that have they been given a chance to speak into the process? It's, it's just a really good one to separate those things out. And uh, Dave, I'm excited about the scaling up because I'm not familiar with it, but I think it may help me with some of the work things I'm doing too. Yeah, we have so many Academy members that are using scaling up and I'm hopeful that we could get Vern to come on the show at some point to the principal at Gazelle's uh, because it's such a, he took the, what they did is looked at all the strategy books over the last generation, good to grade, and some of the great models out there. And they basically did a meta-analysis of like, what are the frameworks that every organization should be using for strategy? And they boiled it down to a simple set of tools. And so if you're looking for a strategy framework and a process for just about anything in the organization, including like we were talking about here, who's doing what in the organization, what expectations are, it's a really great place to start. So Elizabeth, hope that's helpful to you. Let us know what is and what you decide to do next. Our next question is from Gordon. Gordon wrote in and said, at present, the business I work for is going through a period of significant change. We've put a new management structure in place, and many of my team are brand new to the business or to the sector. A lot of people haven't lasted. I feel as though I have a revolving door at the moment and continue to run with at least with several vacancies and a large team as I try to find the right candidates. Do you have any resources that could help with resilience, not just for myself, but also for my team? I feel like problems are coming at me from all angles at the moment. Bonnie, what do you think? This can be so hard to be in a situation like this because just when you feel like you're finally getting your head above water, something can happen where all of a sudden you're back under the water again. So I'm so sorry to hear you're in this situation. The first thing that came to my mind is the importance of celebrating small wins and really taking every opportunity to do that. Infused throughout almost every conversation you have needs to be vision, vision, vision. And we talk about vision almost too much without really talking about it, without the, like, what does that actually look like? And to me, it's got to come down to the whole reason why your company exists and who it serves. And to me, also part of that is that it's part of its reason for existence ought to be serving employees that are there too, that it's a a workplace that benefits the people that work there too in all sorts of ways. 
And that can be something that can be hard for people to keep in their minds when they are working in environments where it's really hard to feel like we're ahead. So I would be over communicating about every instance you see of that vision becoming realized in real tangible ways. And I have one last thought around your question, and they're sort of contrary to each other. One is just to find opportunities to have fun and to be playful and to not take yourselves so seriously. I mean, you may be... (laughs) You may be doing life and death work. So if I were to say it's not life and death, you might be like, yeah, it actually is life and death. But <laughs> but assuming you're not doing life and death work, I think sometimes we just take it too seriously. And by the way, as a side note, even people I know who do life or death work still need this principle of having fun and being a little bit playful. Because even if you're in the most awful, you know, literal life and death matters, We can't be doing that 24-7. It's not sustainable. So I encourage you to really look for opportunities to have some fun and be playful. That's resilience to me where you can, in all of the hardness of it, take those opportunities, but at the same time, not in inauthentic ways. So yes, have fun, be playful, but don't pretend that what's happening isn't hard and remember to acknowledge that and to name things when they happen and not try to ignore them or pretend like they don't exist. Those are a few thoughts. You're in a really tough situation and I I wish you the best on it. Bonnie's thought about celebrating small wins was the first thing I thought of as well, Gordon. And I would also invite you to do the next step on that, which is generate the small wins. And one of the ways that you can do that right now is framing what is a win right now in the organization. And I'm guessing at the moment, it's going to be hard to find those. But your job as the leader, manager, whatever title you hold in the organization, is to help provide that perspective of saying, today, right now, this is a win. If we can do this one thing today, this is going to be a win for us. And we may not have control over 98% of the other stuff going on because of the context and the situation. And of course, acknowledge that. Speak to the challenging times that the organization's going through. Acknowledge that so people know that you know if you aren't already. And help them to gauge what is a win right now. Help them find those wins. And if you can do that and help people to generate wins, then you start to get a little bit of traction where people walk out at the end of the day or finish their work and say, okay, at least today we did this. And that's the start for what's next. I was looking at my notes, Dave, and I couldn't read my own writing. And I did want to share just two of the examples I thought of, of the ability to have fun. When I, my first job out of college was doing computer training. And I remember being so terribly nervous because they actually took me out of the training program. They called it train the trainer. That was when you were supposed to learn, you know, how to teach. And (laughs) they took me out of it. And I was prepping to teach a class and a piece of software I'd never seen before. I know it's terrible that that actually happened back then, but that's that's kind of how that world worked. And I was super, super nervous. And the person I reported to came over to me and I'm just, I was not, I was new to Windows, believe it or not. I had worked just exclusively on Macs. And so came over and said, I'm I'm concentrating so hard. And he says, you know, if you move your mouse in a clockwise direction, it makes the computer work faster. And I actually believed him like for a second that this was true. And then I was say, realized, like, <laughs> speaking of not taking people so seriously, you know, and it was just really, it was like one of those things where you, you 
you laugh that much harder because you fell for it at first. And then another time, the same manager came over to me after a really hard day of teaching. And I, was, I think I was prepping in the little lab place we had to get ready for another hard day of teaching. And he came over and had these candies that in the US are called Smarties. They're like little tart kind of candies. And he said something about how smart I was. And it was just like, I will never look at Smarties and not think of this man and how much he made a difference to me in my very hmm. first professional job. And you never know those little things that you do to bring some playfulness into work, how, what a big difference that they can make. Mm, what a great reminder. Thanks, Bonnie. Gordon, I hope, I hope that's helpful to you. Let us know what you do and to echo what Bonnie said, what a tough situation to be in. I've been there too. I know Bonnie has in a number of situations. It's hard to be there. And if you can find the things each day to keep you moving forward right now, it will work really well for you and your team in the long run. This next question is from Leona. She writes, I work for an organization with a great mission and big dreams, lots of optimism, but our leaders seem to have an extreme disconnection from the reality of what it takes to actually get work done. Because of overpromising, our work consistently runs over budget, over time, and staff are perpetually stressed. As a manager, I'd love to have some advice on how to help my staff thrive in spite of our reality. And there's a deeper question too. How do you cope with what is essentially a deviation from your core values in the workplace? I love the mission of my workplace and what we're trying to achieve, but I'm deeply uncomfortable with what feels like a lack of authenticity and integrity in our leadership. Is the answer to walk away and work somewhere else, or is it possible to make peace with what is? Leona, speaking of tough situations, another tough situation, and you know, a few things that come to mind thinking about what you've written here is how much you've articulated about the reality in a lot of organizations and in a lot of human relationships. And I think about what you said about core values. There, of course, will never be a situation I think any of us are in where we feel perfectly aligned with the core values of our organization as it's emerged, uh, even if you're the person owning the business. I find that there are times <laughs> that things that I've created have have changed from what I originally intended just because of the nature of the work I've done. And, you know, even Bonnie and I in some things, you know, we are a little bit different as far as some of the values we hold, not big things, but little things. The other part of it is that this is, of course, reality in so many organizations, right? There's this espoused who we want to be and this beautiful mission and this optimism. And then there's the reality of the numbers and hitting the goals and all the daily things that go along with that. So I say that, and I know you probably already know this, but I think it's worth mentioning anyway, is that this isn't so much a either or, it's a spectrum. And how much are you wanting and willing to move along that spectrum? And to your question at the very end here, is the answer to walk away and look elsewhere or is it possible to make peace with what is? And then potentially a third, is it possible to change that dynamic? And I think that all three of those possibilities are okay. But I would invite you to decide which path you want to go down. Because of the nature of where you are today and how long you've been with the organization and the political dynamics and where you are in your career and what you may or may not want to do next, those answers may all be valid answers on what you decide. And I think whichever way you decide, I think that there's some wonderful things that you could do and not do that will help make the situation better. So let's say, for example, you decide that you would like to not only make peace with what is, but perhaps even influence change a little bit. And the way you worded the question, Leona, is that it sounds to me like 
this is the kind of position and you're in a place in your career where maybe you have some choices, like you could walk away. And I think that that's an important thing to be present to if that's the case, because you know maybe it gives you the courage to do a bit more than you might do if you could, didn't have that flexibility. And so where would I start? Evidence. In a situation where there's a lot of espoused values about who we are and all the things we want to achieve, and maybe there isn't as much of a focus on the actual numbers, is you know your team. You know what your team can do. You don't know maybe the whole organization, but you know what your team can do and what you're being asked of. And so coming to the table when you're getting the requests from senior leadership about what they're asking you to do in the 14 projects that you got on your plate right now, and with a realistic estimate about what your team can do and can't do, and with backed up with data, backed up with numbers, backed up with evidence. And if that evidence isn't there, start collecting it. That will begin to help you to put together the picture of what does reality look like, or at least as close to reality as you can get. And once you have that evidence, then that is what you bring to the table when you're having those conversations and you hear the request that you know is unrealistic because there's no possible way that you and your organization could could achieve that 90 days from now. If I was a senior leader, I'd sure want to know that. And even if I don't think I want to know that, I really do want to know that. I'd rather have that tough conversation now than 90 days later and you're in a situation where everyone's looking at you because the team didn't do what it was being asked to do. And then tying it in back to the why, the big picture, right? So the evidence first, here's what we can do. Here's what we're able to do. Here's what we're not able to do. And here's why, because we want to do the great things this organization is about, because we want to serve our customers well, whoever your customer is, because we care so much. Here's the why behind why I'm bringing you these numbers. And then you see what happens. And maybe you find that people are willing when you come to the table with evidence and that they're able to start processing a bit. And yeah, maybe there's going to be some tough conversations there, but you start to change a bit of that culture, at least for your team, if not for the entire organization. Or maybe you find out that people aren't willing to listen to reality and aren't willing to listen to numbers. And then you know. But until you know for sure, I'd sure invite you to try. If you have the political capital and you have the ability to take a bit of a risk and have some courage on this, I'd sure invite you to try. Because I hear the passion you have for your organization and the work that you're doing, and I would hate to see someone with your passion and with your care to not at least give an attempt to try to change that dynamic, if not for you, for everyone else who works with you. The other piece of this, too, is more to the, would you make peace with it? I love what Amy Edmondson brought to us on episode 404 recently, talking about psychological safety in an organization. And she makes the point, and the research is very strong on this, that even in an organization where there may not be a lot of psychological safety, and even in a place where people may not be comfortable with really kind of speaking truth, that within an individual team, there is a ton an individual leader can do to change the dynamic. And so I'm going to link to that episode. I'd invite you, if you haven't already, to give a listen to that conversation, maybe even pick up her book, because there's so much there that you can do as an individual leader, even if the larger organization isn't willing to come along with you. If you do decide to follow the path of attempting to make some change, I would be really cautious in using words like values and using words like integrity to describe what it is that you're seeing. It, people can become very defensive. I'm laughing because Dave just just 
two minutes ago said we don't share, you know, every core value. I'm like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Like, I'm th- trying to think of like what he could possibly mean by that. I was like, we're married to each other and very much in love. And I'm still like, I have questions that come up. You're probably not married to the person that you work with and very much in love with them. So how much more is there an opportunity for things like that to be misunderstood and put people on the defensive? Because if it really is that you're on a regular basis being asked to do things that are outside of your value and that you see as lacking integrity, then I would say you don't want to work. If, if it's just regularly sustained, that that's become a part of who you need to adapt yourself to be in a workplace. But it's probably just different emphasis on different values that are less important to you, but maybe more important to those people. But if we just take those powerful mixed up words away from that and say things where we are in agreement, we really do believe in the purpose and the mission of our company and finding those areas of agreement and then looking for areas to influence And one of the things I was thinking of right away was it can be very helpful to have people involved in the sales process who don't tend to be the ones who overpromise and don't tend to be the ones who wind up finding themselves in uh, situations where things run over budget. But it's, it's also wonderful to have very gifted salespeople who can build those relationships. So perhaps change might look like where you're able to team up more with these real driven salespeople that are trying to push the envelope. I I don't really want to work for an organization where there isn't some tension between somebody trying to deliver even more than we think is possible to some audience out there or some, some group of people. That's a healthy tension. That's a healthy tension that can help a company really thrive, but it's not healthy if it's just constant and it's never checked for then what really gets delivered. And so that's one possible way I've seen companies help to modify that is to have someone as a part of a sales team. So you have, again, that gifted relationship person, that person who's driving it, maybe pushing things a little more than we're comfortable with. And then you also have someone more on the operational side who understands what it's going to take to execute and can bring in some of those questions. And then ultimately, we all know you wind up with happier customers in the end because they aren't surprised, you know, when things go over budget or don't come out the way they want. So what a great question. Thank you for allowing Dave and I to reflect on this. Yeah, thanks for allowing us, Leon. I hope it's helpful to you. And by by the way, did I say we weren't aligned on core values? Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't what I intended to say. <laughs> do, I think, do you want to repeat it and say how much aligned we are with our core? We could, I was thinking we could just pull and we have a poster right outside of the studio here with our values and our vision of our marriage and our family, our family mission statement. That's what it is. It's well, really cool. because this show is about our marriage on every yes, episode, of course. Um, the you know, it's funny you mentioned that. What I meant to say and I didn't articulate very well is you know we have different things we emphasize and we care more strongly about each one of us, of course, like in every relationship. And I was actually thinking about that document that does hang outside this wall about our some of our core values. And I remember we had this, I don't even know if it was an argument, but we certainly had a bunch of discussions around <laughs> when we were talking about like, what should our family be like? Like, what kind of environment mm-hmm. do we want in our family? And you, uh, if I recall, were very, uh, like some of your leading, like the leading value was family is a place where we encourage learning and discovery and growth. And I was kind of in the place of more like family is like nurturing and loving. And like, that's the leading value for me, just because that's the family I grew up in. And I think where we came to, and I feel like we are very much now, uh, of both of those values come out 
in our daily practice. There's more learning and growth and challenging things in our household than I think there was when I was growing up in my house and the household I grew up in. And I also think that there's probably more the nurturing, the loving, those kinds of things than maybe like it was in your household. And I think we've come to this place where it's really beautiful. And so I think that that's one of the things that whether it's in a family or in a business, that those misalignments are challenging, points of frustration, points of anger, and also their points of opportunity. That if both parties are willing to then look at that and then to say, okay, how can we take this little, this not necessarily misalignment in values, but different focus on different areas that are both valuable? And how do we play to each other's strengths? And if you're if you're in a place where you're willing to do that, and the other parties too, I think it's a, it's a really exciting place to explore. So uh, let's see, we got one more question here from Anthony. This question is from Anthony, and he writes, one big question I have on the prior episode with Ron Williams is on what versus why. Ron made the point to avoid asking questions that start with why, yet Simon Sinek's start with why has guided me for years. What's the distinction? Anthony, I'm so glad you asked, because I'm sure some other people are wondering this too. For me, the distinction is, are you talking about the past or are you talking about the future? So Ron's point was, when you're going in and, and in his position, coming in as a leader, taking over a tough situation, and having to have some conversations with people about the choices that were made in the past, of uh, his point was, be cautious about starting questions with why, because you put people on the defensive. If you come to someone and say, why did you make this choice seven months ago to do this thing that now clearly is not working? You put someone on the defensive and you put them in an, in an awkward position and they have to explain why, you know, why they did what they did. And his invitation to us was, rather than asking that question like, why did you do this, is to say something that's a little bit, uh, has a little less emotion in it of what led to the decisions that were made on this project. And then his experience was, and also, by the way, my experience and the experience of a lot of others, is that you're more likely to have a conversation about what happened versus getting into value judgments about wh- why certain choices were made. Because the past is the past, right? So the other part of that, though, is where are you going in the future? When it comes to the future, the, what Simon Sinek says, start with why. What's the big picture for what we're doing? Why are we doing it? What is this organization really about? That's where the why becomes so critical and so important at the organizational level. Why are we here? So yes, ask why when it comes to the future, when it comes to the big picture. But when you're talking to someone about the choices they've made in the past or a specific situation, watch out starting with why instead. Start with what? If you decide to dive in further on some of these topics, three past episodes that'll be helpful to you. One of them is episode 249, How to Succeed with Leadership and Management with John Cotter. Cotter has been for decades a leading voice on organizational change, has published many works, and has really influenced a lot of organizations in a positive way. He talked in episode 249 uh, not only about change, but also about innovation and how to balance leadership and management. It's a good follow-up, especially for those of you who are wondering more on handling the change process well. Episode 249 is a good starting point for that. Also helpful to you will be episode 404, How to Build Psychological Safety with Amy Edmondson. Just a few weeks ago, Amy was on talking about her research around psychological safety, how an individual leader can make a huge difference within an organization. 
not necessarily regardless of what the large organization is doing, but in spite of the large organization, both good and bad, and talked about some of the key strategies for how, as individual leaders, we can still have a huge influence in the experience of the people who are working in our organization. I think also about the recent episode with Gallup and the finding that more so than ever, people today are really looking for a great job and are looking for development and the opportunity in some of these tough situations that we can all do a better job with that. And that said, I know it's hard. Some of the situations today, I I read the questions that have come in and I just you know, my heart sinks thinking about the situations that some of you are in and also thinking about situations where I've been in places like that in the past as a leader and how difficult that is. And also in the midst of those difficult times, the opportunity that's there. And episode 44 is a really good reminder to me, uh, backed by research, that there's a lot we can do even in the toughest situations. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 410, how to clarify what's important with Ron Williams. Just a bit ago, we talked about the distinction between the why and the what that Ron mentioned in that conversation. And of course, so many other principles that Ron mentioned at the executive leadership level of how he thought about clarifying what's most important and surfacing those tough situations when he walked into a very difficult leadership challenge. All of those episodes are included in the Coaching for Leaders library. And this episode is going to be under the topic areas of management skills, difficult situations, and organizational change. And if you're looking for more episodes in those areas, uh, hop on over to the website. You can search by all of those topics and uh, every other topic we've cataloged on the website of all the episodes since 2011. Uh, One of the things that sometimes uh, folks are looking for is, hey, I'd, I'd really like to hear four or five different perspectives on something like strategy. A great way to do that is to go in and do a search for strategy, and you'll find the episodes that are uh, most relevant to where you are right now. And all you need to do is set up your free membership to get access to all of that. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com. It'll give you access to the entire library, searchable by topic. It'll also give you access to my free 10-day audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. It's a great starter for many of the lessons and wisdom you've heard on this show over the last eight years now that we've been in production, plus a bunch of other resources, including my library, all of the articles and resources I've tagged over the last, well, eight years since I've been sending out the weekly leadership guides, and also access to those weekly leadership guides. So just uh, go over to coachingforleaders.com and you'll get access to all of that. Next week, I am glad to welcome back to the show, Hassan Osman. He's going to be returning to outline the key steps in effective delegation of authority. It is a topic that comes up often in my conversations with leaders in how do I do a better job at uh, delegating the work that I know we need to delegate, and by the way, developing people along the way. Uh, Hassan and I are going to go through a lot of the practical steps on how as a leader you can begin that conversation. So join us next week for that. As always, if this conversation was helpful to you, pass it along to someone else who would benefit. Have a great week and see you next Monday for more on delegation. Take care.